Good afternoon, everybody. This is Chill Time is Will Time. I'm your host, William Moore, and I'm here with a guest that I'm pretty excited about. If you guys were paying attention to the last episode, I told you that I was going to introduce you guys to uh, one of my favorite people that helps fuel my uh, my hobby and my little side addiction of comic books. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Lisa Olson, and I work at the Source Comics and Games, and uh, I push comics. <laughs> That's a cool way of putting it. So, yeah, for uh, just to let everybody know, Lisa is definitely somebody that um, that I go to. You know, I have my regular titles or whatnot that I list that I read and that I'm geeked about and excited about. But anytime, absolutely anytime that I'm looking to um, find out about a new title or some a new interesting read or whatnot, um, Lisa is definitely the person that I go to for that. And so I just figured it's only right, only natural that uh, I bring her on for an interview today. So that's exactly what I came to do. So how was your day today so far? Uh, it was good. We we unpacked the whole uh, the whole shipment of the new comics that came in this week, and it's an all day process. So start at eight o'clock in the morning, and I leave around five or later today if we were still doing help. And the guys have a couple hours left after I'm done. So we unpack everything, pull everything for our roughly thousand subscribers, uh, get all the product laid out for the week, and yeah. If you're fully staffed, exactly how long does that process take you? Um, generally from about 8 a.m. until about 7 p.m. Because I know there's days when I come in and there's like five or six people like feverishly, like, like working at like a feverish pace, like pulling books, putting them in boxes, Organizing on tables, stacking them up, making sure other people don't like customers don't grab the books and try to buy them too early yeah. because it can't be released. You know, and a day even if people than know it's Tuesday, yeah, they just and they know they're not supposed to. They just they're something they, in their brain breaks and they're like trying yep. to crawl over the barriers we put up. To exactly, get to they're them. like innately trying to grab onto the stuff. So mm-hmm. I think that's hilarious because I actually have been one of those people at one point in time. So I did it before <laughs> I started working there. I was just like, you get there and it's like you can see the new issue. And your brain just is like, I can oh, it's that. Wednesday. Clearly, it's Wednesday because the new book is there. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I guess to get uh, to get a start off, like, you know, we're going to learn a little bit about you. So let's kind of start off, like, you know, where are you from? I'm from Roseville, so I haven't traveled far, um, and the source is in Roseville. So right, um, such so as yeah. it's just stomping grounds. That's just it is. Yeah, I um, and I worked at the Barnes and Noble across the street for a few years before I started working there. So um, you're just a bookstore person, is what it is. It's true. I was <laughs> I was born a nerd, and every now and then I have like aspirations of normality, and then I just I I go back to what I know. It makes sense. I don't. I you know what? Probably I would have to say, you know, because I always budget myself because um, I'm one of those people that's super picky about money. Mm-hmm. You know, like I make good money, but 
I'm picky about it too. I mean, that's how they say it. It's like rich people stay rich because they don't blow their money. Like, you know, they invest it and they don't blow it. You know what I mean? Yeah, you work for it. You don't want to waste it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So although I'm not rich, you know, I can be a penny pincher at times. But if there's one thing that I do blow money on, though, (laughs) it is books. I'm I'm at that Barnes & Noble a couple times a week. And you guys probably see me over at the source, what, two, sometimes three times a week, too. Yeah. Just randomly coming and picking stuff up. So... I can I can empathize with that, you know. <laughs> so I guess the, the next question I would have for you is like, when did you actually get into comic books? It's a it's a roundabout story. It's like we were destined to be together, and we had a couple <laughs> meet cutes, and then we and then we got together for good. Um, so I when I was little, I loved Calvin and Hobbes, and you know all the like newspaper strips family circus because i didn't have a ton of options i just loved all of it and I, I actually drew like a little single frame comic for my elementary school newspaper right right i'm positive none of it still exists thank god <laughs> and um uh yeah so i so i did that um we had like i was always really interested in comics but my parents are very normal people so when i was asking them for more Comic strips is and stuff. normal though. I always I, like. Well, I mean, it was like I get kind of quirky when I hear people say stuff because it's like weird or normal. I'm like, well, what is normal? Because to be honest with you, this day and age, all the stuff I see in the news. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was like this was like the early nineties. Okay, okay, and I'm okay. and you know so they didn't <laughs> Siri wasn't there to tell my dad like where to go find a thing he wasn't familiar with. Right, right. So. um so I don't blame them too much. Like they helped me try and find all of the newspaper stuff that they were familiar with, but um, I it was a it was a different age in comics and the nerd world. So if you didn't like know about comic shops, you, you didn't we, know weren't really going to get there. Yeah, right. Um, so it kind of so my interest in it petered out a little bit. But we had um, and there was it was funny when I was trying to like make the mental list of my favorite comics that is not like a two-hour recitation of every comic I've ever read. Um, I was I was thinking about, like, the early comics I got and stuff, and, and I remembered that in elementary school we did, um, we learned about money one year by having, like, these imaginary checking accounts, and we wrote checks and had to keep track of a balance, and then we had an auction at the end of the year. And it was, like, you know, was like little school supply things and toys and some books and whatever but one of the things that they had was a superman comic right and i was so taken with the concept of that book i blew most of the money in my imaginary checking account in order to beat like three boys to get this superman comic and i don't think i read it and i have no idea what happened to it what no i must have read it so you bought it you blew all this money bought it and never read it i i had to have read it I'm pretty sure I read it, but it didn't really stick because I had no context for yeah, any yeah, of it. Yeah. Like, I thought it was amazing. It was a thing that like was super exciting to me, um, but I have no idea what happened to it. And then uh, when I was in high school, uh, graphic novels were kind of having a moment in the early 2000s. Yeah, very it, early 2000s. I kind of vaguely remember like I feel like, and, and I could be oblivious to it, but I almost feel like that is like around the time that manga really started to hit America. That's probably also true. And, yeah. and, and, and the reason I'm like skeptical about like making that statement is only because 
I've never really necessarily been in the in the manga, so I could have probably been here like long before that, and I just didn't notice it. It's but. it's yeah, it's it's one of those things that's been around to some degree in a lot of places, but it was one of those things that it's had a couple big waves of of um, of lots of companies publishing lots of titles at once, and then it kind of peters out a little bit, and it's more of a specialty thing, and then it comes back again when Dark Horse picks up more stuff, or now that Viz is like a huge power. Um, power player in the manga world and you right. know, Crunchyroll and all the streaming anime stuff. Um, it's big again, but uh, yeah, I think that was around the time that it, there was just a big uptick in interesting graphic novels. Right. Um, and I read a book called Blankets by Craig Thompson, uh, which is an autobiographical coming of age kind of story, but his art is just gorgeous. He uses these really. Um, like really thick bold lines on a lot of things but he really varies his line quality and uh then he takes like four years off and then comes back and has another spectacularly drawn thing and um and i read that and was like oh like comics can be all kinds of things it's not just like um not just superheroes and and this other stuff but it can be really like this you know this guy goes to an art school for college and meets all these people and has his mind opened and right right you know it's it's one of those books too that was i read it at the right time and uh it was just it, it made a huge impression and i read more and more of them and uh and then the downhill slide into professional comic book sales kind of went from there so yours is just like a like a long like a gradual progression then starting yeah. from like you, you you were younger yeah and i and it kind of i mean and there was like a long time off yeah. And then another another kind of while in college, too, where I was in college and I was busy and I liked yeah. it and everything. But then when I had a little bit more free time towards the end of college, I got back into it again. And then I was buying comics on a regular basis at the source before I started working there. I would say that's probably somewhat similar to, like, um, how it was for me. With me, it kind of went through, like, two phases, right? So the first phase is like a little kid, right? Elementary school. I remember it was, man, maybe third grade, second, you know, third grade. Um, and there's this dude, there's this kid named Philip Barnes, I remember. And um, he would come in with these comic books and comic cards. And we get these like little like 20 minute breaks in class sometimes, right? And I remember looking at his stuff thinking, like, it was so cool, right? And so um, I had very limited knowledge of, like, some of the characters. And the, the, what I did know about some of the characters before really hanging out with Philip, it was, like, through if they had a cartoon. Like, I knew about Spider-Man because there's a Spider-Man cartoon. You know, I knew about X-Men because there's, like, an X-Men cartoon. But I didn't really, I wasn't really into it like that. Like, Philip Barnes is who got me into, like, comic books. And then I was just, like, collecting like crazy, you know. So I would get into, like, Black Panther, uh, all that. Which is why I, I think it's kind of, it's it's cool, yet funny at the same time. Like, it's almost like Black Panther is getting, like, this renaissance. Because, like, because of the movie, like, everybody knows, knows about him now. Mm -hmm. But, like... And I'm sure, like, a lot of people didn't really realize, like, he's been around for, like, decades. Like, Black Panther's, like, been around for, like, literally decades. Oh, yeah. Um, but, of course, you know, there hasn't been a lot of characters of color um, 
in the past, and that's you know that's a whole another topic when it comes to you know comics and art, which we'll kind of get into that later because you know that kind of just reflects uh, the social political landscape during that time. Why you don't have like a lot of different uh, heroes or villains of color or whatnot. And then, so just like you said, I was like, kind of like, you know, with you, like I was collecting like a ton, right? Just, you know, bags and boxes of comics. I would go to the grocery store every weekend with my grandma, right? And while she was grocery shopping, I would go to like the magazines or the book section where they would sell comic books. Back in that day, they were like $1.25. And, yeah. and the most expensive ones would be like $1.75. The yep. thicker issues are like these deluxe issues or whatnot. <laughs> And I remember occasionally, like, I'd want to get two, or I'd want to get, like, one of the deluxe issues or whatnot, and they'd be, like, $1.75, or, like, total would be, like, 3 bucks. and my grandma would be like, I ain't paying $3 for none of them funny books. <laughs> and so I would always get broken down into, like, having to, like, just pick one out of the two, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it sucked on weekends I'd go, and there were, like, two or three different titles that I was that I was really into. And I that probably think maybe only a handful of times was I ever able to convince her to spend money to get me like more than one at once. Um, and so I, you know, that was that that was my um, avenue into being able to get them afford them because we didn't really have a car at the time, uh, we didn't have transportation. So and I didn't know of any shops. I remember you know Philip would tell me about where he would go, but I didn't have anybody to take me anywhere. So time goes by. As I get older, you know, I'm getting more busy with sports and stuff like that. And then uh, the grocery store that we would go to stopped carrying them. That's oh. what stopped me from really, you know, that really kind of halted my collecting period. And then fast forward, you know, college, all that type of stuff, busy, with, you know, with college. Um, and I'm still doing a lot of reading, but not comics. I'm reading books, you know, because I'm an ardent reader uh, as well. Um, and then I'd say... Maybe about a maybe like about a year ago, I really started to pick back up the habit again of being like, "Why did I ever stop reading? Like these are so cool." Because I'm a person like generally, even with the books I have, like I don't read fiction. You know, all my okay. stuff is like about you know science or it, it's about like biographies or they're just real thing. You know, you know real life things. Um, it's all nonfiction, and I'm like. If there was any uh, fiction that I was going to read, it would be a comic book. Like, why am I not reading, you know what I mean, like reading these anymore? So, wind up finding, a, you know, a couple shops to go to, run into the source, figure out the source. And the thing is, I've always been kind of seen the source because I would be going to the Eric's Bikes, uh, Bikes and Boards right next door. Yep. Because, you know, I bike a lot and stuff, too. And I never stopped. And then just one day, I was like, you know what, I'm going to stop into this place. And I remember walking in and being like, Shangri-La. <laughs> Seriously, like figures, comics everywhere, all different types of comics, like the, the the largest selection. Like if you're, and I remember looking in the back, and there, I, I I think it was, it must have been a Wednesday because it was packed in the back. Everybody yep. was like gaming, and I'm I'm a type like I'm not I'm a comic book reader, but I'm not a gamer. And I remember staring and kind of looking around and being like, oh my god, like what did I walk into? And I remember. I chuckled to myself because there's one dude who came in. He had to be, like, in his 40s, and he walked in, like, with his backpack or whatever. And I don't know who he is or what his <laughs> reputation might be, but he walked in like Don Corleone, and, like, everybody was, like, staring him down, and he had, like, this look like, I'm about to mop everybody in whatever game this is that we're about <laughs> to play. And I probably spent, like, 10 more minutes watching, 
another 15, 20 minutes, like, looking at uh, comics or whatever. Walked out, you know, bought, like, 10 or 12 of them. Walked out, and then I've been, like, a regular there, like, every day since, like, well, every week since. So that was kind of, like, my trend. So it's not that different from... uh, I guess your your journey when it comes to it as well. When you get bit by the bug early, it it's hard to get it out of your system. It is. It's it so is. great. It is. What can you say is the because um, you kind of talked about when you got into them, but what was the main thing that got into? Like, what draws you into it? Is it the storylines? Is it the art? The first thing you notice? What really got? Like, what can you say got you into it and keeps you involved or attracts you to new titles now? Uh, there's, I think it's two things. Um, the art is a big deal for me. I think that's really part of what I really liked about it when I was when I was little because I've I've been a super avid reader for my whole life too. Um, but I love art. I have a um, uh, a BA in art from the U U of M, and uh, it's studio art, and I did photography, so I can't really draw, but I've always loved. But you got a it. taste for it. Like, you know what yeah. good art is and unattractive art is for you. Yeah, so I, I enjoy the art both on on the level of, you know, I'm a kid and I'm seeing pictures that go along with the story. Like, that's, I just love that basic concept. And then, um, and then the formal training that I have in, you know, composition and, and narrative art. Because it's very different than, like, a portrait. Right. Um it's the sequential quality of the art makes it very different from all the other visual art that you see and I think that's can be I think it can turn people off a little bit like people are always saying that they don't really understand you know like what order you look at things at and how you read the word bubbles and that's interesting because for me I feel like it's easy I feel like that's that's the whole lore of a comic book like you sit back and you look at the art first, and the art will tell you which order you're supposed to do this. Right, Like, the yeah. panels will tell you in which order you're supposed to read everything. I think if you get confused about which order you're supposed to go or whatnot, it's because you're not actually paying attention to the panels. Because I feel like yeah. the panels, like, really lay it out. Yeah, and I, and I, it's a, I think it's, a, it's, it's asking your brain to work in a slightly different way because we're so used to looking at, like, little boxes of text that give us directions yep, go for things. Go left to right, left to right, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you know, you you expect the text to give you an instruction for how this thing reads, but it's, yeah. a, it's a different process, and uh, really good artists and writers will, you know, rely on the stuff that's not there, that you know is supposed to be there. Like, you know, like a book where you, you fill in information that you don't have and you make the assumption that your reader is an intelligent person who can follow along with this when you can leave something up to their imagination. So, uh, but you know, not everybody falls into that super easily. Right. And and now I think that the, um, I think that the mainstreaming of nerd culture has been really good and kind of bad for comics because people see, you know, like the comic book guy from The Simpsons and <laughs> and you think I mean and that's like a reference that everybody's got right away. It's Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory and the comic book guy from The Simpsons. And it's the thing is, it's so like, it's not even really like that. It's, no, and it's because I remember yeah. you and I talking about it in the shop one day, and I was like, people who enjoy comics or into stuff like that, like we come from all walks of life. Yeah, like nobody expects for somebody who looks like me 
of my stature or whatever to be somebody who's totally into comic books and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and when people know about all my other interests, they're so like all over the board. Like this is just the, that was just, this is just like the last thing they expect. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I remember talking about on uh, other podcast episodes about how um, you know I have like you know these statuettes and stuff. Uh, and figures of different characters, like I got a huge Black Panther one from the the Kotobukiya series, like that oh, yeah. that huge one. Yep. You know, I got Ironheart, um, Spider, you know, Miles Morales. I like have all these figures like in my you know on my desk area at work, and how people will like make comments and make fun of it. But guess whose desk they spend a lot of time at? Right. People always stop by my desk to look. And then it turns into like a 30, 45 minute conversation, even for people who like don't even work in the building. Like I've had like delivery men like walk by, walk by, double take, come back. And then we've sat and we've had like a 45 minute conversation about the movies or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to me like that. I guess it isn't. I guess it isn't. Um, it's interesting, but it's not shocking to me. That everybody's image of a comic book fan or whatever is this nerdy type of person or whatever, or or the image of what a nerd is, because I am a nerd and a geek, but I don't fit what everybody's stereotype of what that is supposed to look like. Yeah, but it, it kind of I think it relates to what you're saying about a reflection of the socio political environment that stuff is created in, and and why representation is great in books. Yeah, because um, like Kamala Khan, who is Ms. Marvel. Uh, is Pakistani American and uh, and her parents she's got like a mixture in her family of people who are really um, conservative and traditional Muslim and people who really don't identify with it much at all so she's constantly surrounded by this but she's brown and she writes fan fiction about the Avengers on the internet and they've written issues about it right where, right <laughs> and it's like and she's a total nerd and but she doesn't look like that really right so she's she's kind of like the new peter parker a little bit i feel like as that's as an interesting teenager. parallel i wouldn't have drawn that parallel but the, now that you've kind of like you've made it yourself and you've kind of spelled it out i'm like okay i can kind of see that yeah and they've got i mean they've got a couple they've got a bunch of of figures who are a little bit peter parker-esque and and miles obviously not just because he's spider-man also but you know the same kind of um kind of nerdy teenager that's just kind of a smart maybe a little bit of an introvert and then they are they have this new superhero persona that they have to adopt and they have to juggle that with their personal life right which is completely different for them because it's like it's funny when you look at like you talk about them and being like these introverts in their regular life they're like super witty and outgoing you know in their superhero life which Mm -hmm. is a complete opposite of what they so it's like i find i find it uh interesting and like a question that you can kind of wonder like are they really introverts because they have they show like this very extroverted type of behavior and attitude you know in their nightlife or is that because nobody can see who they really are so it's like it's easier to put on a to to open up and and be who you are deep down or not yeah well and i I think too that it's I feel like the teenage characters are the ones that have like the biggest difference between their their superhero personality and their their normal life personality. Yeah. But I, I think that too has something to do with them 
working out who they are as people. Mm-hmm. And they, they just have this opportunity to, when they put on the suit, they can do whatever they want. Right. And not have any repercussions as a result of that. So it's, you know, great responsibility, great power, that trade-off and everything. It. But at the same time, then, too, there's, like, a more lighthearted side of that, too, where it's, like, you know, you great opportunity, great power, great responsibility. I can dig it. So, this next question, and I, I, I got to admit, when I wrote it out, I was eager to be in, the, you know, all the different conversations I've had with you, and I know how you, like, how into comics you are. I was really interested to want to, to, to get the answer to this question. And that question is, have you ever thought about writing your own comics as an adult? I've kind of thought about it. Um, by working in the industry, I've made friends with lots of people who work in the industry. So I get to meet the people who write the books that I really like. And right. in some cases, get to hang out with them and drink with them and be friends with them online and stuff. Right. And it really... Figure out that thought process and the yeah. whole mind. And, and it's, uh, it's a... Like the process, the creative process of making a book is really grueling. Um, is it really? Yeah, it's uh, there's. Oh, I'm trying to think of who. To, okay, so Patrick Rothfuss was just on um, an episode of uh, the Wednesday Club, which is uh, Geek and Sundry has their channel that they do, and they have a bunch of different shows on it. And one of them is they've got like a every Wednesday they have uh, Amy Dolan, who is uh, a woman who works at. A comic book store in LA and then Matt Key who is a commentator on the network and Talison Jaffe who uh, is one of the people who plays on Critical Role yeah and uh, and they talk about comic books and stuff and uh, and so Patrick Rothfuss was just on and talking about the experience of going from being uh, an extremely popular successful fantasy writer because he does the um Oh, God, what are those called? King something. It's the name of the wind and the old man's fear or something like that. The hmm. name of the wind is the first one anyway. Okay. And it's uh, it's ultimately going to be a trilogy of just these fantasy books. But um, he's been hugely, hugely successful with them. And so he was talking about, he's writing the Rick and Morty Dungeons and Dragons comic book. Ah, okay. That will be coming up, which is uh, something I'm very excited for. And... Uh, he was talking about you know he thought that being someone who writes novels he could write Rick and Morty playing Dungeons and Dragons or whatever that situation is going to be pretty easily Uh, and he said that it was a very hard readjustment because you have to you write for the artist to make their contribution so it's a much more collaborative process than people think right Uh, and so then you really gotta you really there has to be a real like uh chemistry there then yeah and I think you know even just looking at superhero books it's like you can really tell when a creative team is clicking in a book versus art and words that don't necessarily go together quite as well and yeah so it's it's like that that's a little bit intimidating to me but um yeah, I don't. I like in the back of my mind, it exists as a thing. It's like if I if I felt like I had an idea that I felt compelled to work on, I think it would be pretty exciting to jump into it. But um, but I'm happy like doing what I'm doing and helping with publishing and helping creators that I know do their thing too. So my prediction is you'll try it at least once. <laughs> I, I do. I really do think so. I think it's sort of inevitable. I like a lot of the <laughs> other people that I know who work in comics 
uh, are either artists or writers, or they become one after being in the industry for a long time. So I could totally see that. We'll see. I don't have any like ambition to do so on on its own, but you know, if I stumble into something, it'd be pretty great, I'm sure. Cool. So you touched on this a little bit earlier, but another one of the questions that I have are like, why do you think comic books and and their readers have the reputation of being geeky and nerdy? And like, do you have like a problem with it? Um, I was a really oblivious kid. Uh, I was a hardcore nerd from an early age. Like I played basketball starting when I was pretty young. And I was pretty decent at it, so I was on traveling teams and school teams. And uh, anytime we had like a sleepover or a party or anything and people would bring movies, I'd always show up with my Star Wars VHS trilogy. I'd just be <laughs> like, guys, you just don't even know how good this movie is. Right. If you would only watch it. And they were like, no, no, no. That is, <laughs> that's not how this works. So we did watch um, the first Star Wars movie. Um, one time as the last movie as people were falling asleep and it was made very clear to me that this was my moment and that I would stop asking about Star Wars after this. So they just threw you a bone with that one? Pretty much, yeah. I was tenacious. (laughs) So, but I, you know, and I I read nonfiction science books and lots of science fiction and, you know, so they would all want to go to the mall and, um, or, you know, whatever popular kids who wanted to do things outdoors and stuff did and I'd be like yeah but if we go can we can we go to uh what was the name of that bookstore that was there um B. Dalton I'd be like yeah we can go to the mall but we have to go to B. Dalton because there's this new whatever book and they'd just be like ah uh, no that's not <laughs> that's not what the mall is for but uh yeah but it never bothered me like I knew that they thought it was really nerdy and everything but you know we played and and they compartmentalized my existence by just being like, hey, we like this. Don't talk about this. But, it, you know, and I, I had so many other interests that it didn't really bother me. So I never felt right. really, I never felt like legitimately ostracized because of it. Okay. And I, I definitely understand how a lot of people can. Right. And as I had, you know, a little bit later in high school, like I started to, to get more of that, that people were... Um, you know, it could be really shitty about things. Yeah. But again, at that point, I was like, my relationship with Star Wars is way more established than my relationship with you, so that's fine. <laughs> but, and I've, and you know, and I've heard of horror stories from plenty of other nerds growing up, and, and I had, you know, run ins here and there where people make assumptions, and, and it's not been a great time for women in comics because uh, Gamergate has, you know, been a whole thing, and, there's a contingent. Wait a minute. Tell me about this whole Gamergate. Thing. Oh, Lord. Okay, so Gamergate was, this is like three or four years ago now, I think the, the big thing was. And it started with, it like, video gaming. Okay. And I don't remember her name, but it was like this personal situation where a video game reviewer got accused by ex-boyfriend of giving a biased review to something or something like that so he starts airing all this dirty laundry and what? The, and the internet because it is like the dirty internet. laundry about like their relationship oh or... yeah yeah are you serious over oh, something like, like that like miserably awful things yeah and it was i think it was triggered by their relationship and their breakup and stuff but um 
uh, and it, it spun way out of control and um, then so there's this faction that rose up and a lot of like men's rights activists jumped on board with this and they're just oh like so they'd be attacking all of these women professionals in the video gaming industry and their rallying cry was no it's about ethics and game journalism because video gaming journalism is certainly what I think of as a bastion of Pulitzer Prize winning <laughs> you know work that people are doing and uh so it, I mean, it got to the point where I think Anita Sarkinen was one of the women's names, but she was going to do a speaking engagement at I think the University of Colorado, and someone called and said, "If you let her speak, I will go in there and shoot up your entire auditorium." What? So they canceled. Yeah. So and it, and a lot of it started with people anytime. like that are psychos. Like oh, seriously, yeah. like that. Mother, sorry yeah. for cutting you off. Oh no no, no it's okay. but that's so, just outlandish. Oh no, it's it's completely ridiculous. So uh, so they canceled her speaking engagement and or they no, I know what it was. They said that they weren't going to provide any extra security because they couldn't or something, and she canceled. The point was it wound up getting called off. So they basically caved to this threat. Capitulated from this dude. to this idiot. Yeah, and um, and so doxing is really popular with the GamerGate community so if they if they don't like how someone usually a woman is engaging with them online which is usually telling them that they're full of shit for being ridiculous um they just dox her and post all of her personal information and and then death threats and rape threats and and just like horrifically ugly awful stuff and there is a contingent in comics pretty much the same thing that happens to women when they are really trying to make their mark in any industry, not even just video games or like literature, but like you hear about this type of behavior from insecure men when it comes to when it comes to women in any like absolutely any and every industry. And I feel like it's only gotten worse like the past couple of years. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. For obvious reasons. We don't really need to say, <laughs> but we all know. Sure. Um but yeah, so wow. Yeah, but I you know, and I think it's it's a lot of like it's a lot of just insecure men in particular, like those insecure men and that overlap with a certain contingent in the gaming world, that overlap with a certain contingent in the comic book world. And it's a lot of the same people. Right. And they spread and use a lot of the same tactics to harass people. And um, so that you've, they've popularized the concept. It's sort of come down a little bit after the last year or two, but the concept of the fake geek girl so there was this idea wow. that women who were cosplaying at conventions were only going for attention because yes because when i think of that simply doesn't make any sense it doesn't because like we we just finished talking about how <laughs> essentially the culture and on a on a on a broad scale is usually ostracized so what type of positive right. attention are you going to get from that anyway right but they you know they, it's like oh you get all these hot girls who like anime outfits and they dress skimpy and come to a comic-con to get their picture taken and stuff and i'm i don't know exactly how these men think that this is like a beneficial situation for them because it's expensive (laughs) and time consuming to make those costumes it's expensive to get a pass to a convention to walk around and like you know so you're, you're dumping a ton of time and energy into this and then a lot of people you know if they're gonna be walking around in like super fancy armored underwear they're gonna like work on their fitness a little bit before they walk around on a convention floor in front of people. So it's it's like a hobby 
like a very time consuming hobby for people to do this. Right. But in the eyes of this crowd of men scared little boys. Yeah. They're you know, they've been they've been yelling for years that women won't pay attention to them and won't take what they do seriously. And then they have all these women who are showing up because of the rise of manga and some of this other comic stuff. And now they're upset because somebody else has taken they yep. They're like the what do they call those guys? The incels. Yes, yes. They're like those those jerk offs. Like yeah. I don't whatever. I'm not even going to give them any airtime right now. Right, <laughs> but you get. I mean, you know, you you get a certain commonalities that all of these groups of people have, and then you know they're the ones who are on the internet who have the time and want to devote the energy to sitting on the internet for several hours a day just bugging people about stuff that no one really wants to spend that time on. So, um, I have strayed from the original question. It's all good. So, okay. one, thing you'll, <laughs> one thing you'll learn about me and you'll learn about my podcast, once you start having a good conversation, like, it's so easy to go off on a tangent. Like, that's just what it is. So, mm-hmm. you're good. Okay. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. But, yeah. Yeah, gamer gets the whole thing. But, um... Oh, and, and I think it's, I remember what the question was. Like, I think that is part of what gives people a really bad impression of the gaming industry is because, you know, whenever anyone really feels like relating a story about this, it's going to be with one of these grognards who is just gross and wants to harass people. And I don't remember which magazine covered Gamergate, but there were there were a couple articles that kind of we're in the mainstream media being like, there's this really weird phenomenon happening on the internet where people are like going to war with each other and doxing and all this other stuff. And so it, it got enough attention that. I just learned something new because I didn't know what doxing was. Like, oh, yeah. You just kind of taught me what that was all about. Yeah. So that's, it's a whole ugly thing. So a lot of, you know, and I, and I think that there are a lot of people who maybe heard little bits and pieces about this and just kind of know how these type of fans conduct themselves online. Right. And that just makes the whole thing unappealing. So it, it reinforces the image of, you know, a guy who lives in his mom's basement with all of his boxes of comics and action figures and and is gonna be a total dick if you don't know every single thing. <laughs> so it's so the with the fake geek girl thing, the the tactic that they used against these horrible women who were paying money to go to their nerdy comic book events was to basically quiz them and demand that they show them um, their breadth of knowledge yeah you have to prove that you're a real geek girl and and then you get into this whole thing of like well what knowledge makes well you who a made geek? them the gatekeepers though exactly like you're not the gatekeeper to, you know what i mean like mm-hmm. so whatever yeah but you know you get the, you get people who have been you know, the people who really got made fun of and, um, uh, or, you know, and I mean, I got, I'm, you know, I got made fun of them and stuff too, but it just never, I didn't, I, the people who don't deal with it well or who don't have other interests to really prop up their, their self-esteem at that point in their lives or whatever it is. Are the ones that typically suffer. Right. Like the most. Yeah. And, and then they, and then they see if, you know, if someone else is going to come in and and try to act excited about something and act like they have ownership over this thing that these people have been tortured about for their whole lives. I understand their, um, you know, a little bit of the emotional reaction that they might have to that, but then the answer is not, you know, 
create a new kind of social warfare on the internet to drive people away from the thing that you want people to like so that it can keep happening because yeah if you if you limit the people who can enjoy comics to a small group that does not mean that it's going to be an industry that can continue to make new things that you want to see for sure so it's a lot of it's a lot of not good logic being deployed by these people right so yeah. yeah i you know i personally like as far as like you know why i think that they have you know comics and their readers have the reputation of being being geeky i think that's just an age old like concept of kind of like what you said like these images of like unathletic introverted skinny folks who you know what i mean like who like have no who have no friends or whatever so they find their lives like in this fantasy world in books and like action figures or gaming or whatnot um and i do and i don't see a problem with it i do see a problem with it from the standpoint of when it comes to the point where you're like where it's crushing somebody's self-esteem um at the same time, I don't see an issue with it because I'm not a person that suffers from those issues. Mm-hmm. Like, I, so I was that skinny, funny-looking, nerdy kid that everybody had jokes about and picked on when I was younger. And then, like, now I'm six feet and 240 pounds. Like, people at work will make little funny remarks about, you know, like, back stuff like this. But, like, nobody does it, like, maliciously. It's a totally different type of, like, joke than what it was when, like, I was, like, a little bit, yeah. like, I was a yeah. little kid. You know, that's different. Um, but another reason that it, it that I would say, like, it doesn't bother me is because, like, I don't allow the words geek and nerd to be, like, weaponized. Um, they're not weapon, they can't be weaponized when you're, like, talking about it in terms of me because, like, I wear those terms like a badge of honor. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's cool. Like, I, I've said before, like, I have this saying, like, some people think inside the box. Other people are allotted or applauded for thinking outside the box. I'm the one who says, why are you in the box anyway? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I've always kind of been, like, out on the fringe or whatever, so I really don't care. Like, because when you're out on the fringe like that, two, one of two things will happen. You do lose your, you, you know, you do lose, lose self-confidence and you become a follower, you know, and your, your self-esteem is low. Or... You're so used to being on your own and doing your own thing that you develop this immense amount of self-confidence. And so you're always cool with, like, these different labels, these different titles. Because to you, or, or like, to me, like, when I'm I'm hit with these different labels or different titles or whatnot, all all, all they symbolize is that I'm not like you. Which is cool. I never wanted to be like, I, you know, I developed that mentality to not be like anybody else anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm cool. So when people use those type of, like, terms or whatever with me, like, I'm like, cool. That reinforces exactly, like, what I want to be. Like, not like you. You want to be like everybody else. Like, cool. Like, to me, that's being a square. Like, you're unoriginal. So I'm cool with that. So, like, I, like I said, like, I kind of have, like, a, a love-hate um, response to that. Like, it's, it's just good and bad, and I think that it really depends on that individual, kind of much to like you kind of alluded to a little bit earlier. Yeah, well, and I it's I think it's ironic that, that comics have the reputation they do because when they started, 
in the 30s and 40s and and for several decades after that, uh, you know, Superman sold millions and millions of copies. Like, everyone read Superman. So clearly, yeah. like, more than just the nerdy people were reading. Exactly. It was always a form of mass entertainment. Exactly. And, like, mass entertainment. It was, it was on par with social media in terms of, you know, the, the penetration into the population and... Exactly. Which is why it's funny and ironic to me. Because remember, just last week, you and I had the conversation... You know, we're having this conversation when we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, doing this interview. How it's it's also funny and ironic how people make fun of other folks uh, who, who may or may have smart remarks, you know, towards folks like us who read comic books or in the comics. But yet you've seen every Marvel movie. Right. It's the same damn thing, except yep. you're looking at it on the screen. Yep. It's the exact same damn thing. So what are you then? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah, and it's just it's it's a it's a different medium. It's the same <laughs> thing. They get same exactly. Matter of yeah. fact, I'll even argue that as great as a lot of the movies are, much like they say about all. Um, stories when it comes to the book and the movie, the book is always better. Yeah. Like the actual comic series, if you like take your head out of your butt, quit looking at it as like a nerdy thing that you can't subject yourself to and actually read a whole series, the storylines in there are a lot more riveting than to watch an actual movie. So if you love the movie, then you'll love the actual reading the actual comic series. Yeah. And then and then when you're looking at something like the Infinity Gauntlet, you have the, oh, the beauty of the ridiculous colors from the early nineties. Oh and my the gosh, exactly. Goofy ass like thought bubbles and stuff. And it's just like fun. And how they overlap over like, you know, several different like titles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes like this uh this rabbit hole that you go down, like maybe you're only interested in like one title, but you got exposed to all these other titles that you're totally now like into reading because of this one epic story that like spans several different books. Yeah, and I've I've been talking to people a lot too about the, you know, as as they've made more and more of the Marvel movies, uh, in particular, but they're kind of doing this with Star Wars too. Like they've they've done so many, they need to find new ways to do kind of the same thing. So you're starting to get like genre movies within the subset of yeah, yeah, Star yeah. Wars or um or the Marvel movies because Thor Ragnarok is a very different movie than a lot of other things. And and then even Ant-Man and the Wasp is I still got to see that. I it's 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 pretty great. It's just like it's a really refreshing I like the first one, definitely. Yeah, and it's 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 a much more lighthearted um kind of tone than a lot of the other movies like even with Thor Ragnarok that had some kind of intense stuff in it um, or like the Guardians movies with the the kind of retro appeal and stuff yeah, and like yeah. they've all got very different vibes and I know that's part of what people like about the movies is getting to see the variety in it and it's another thing that's totally reflected in the comics because when you get different writers working on stuff and different artists you it, it's the same thing where it's like you've got the same fun superhero stories but there are all of these subgenres within that, and you get all of these different types of art and these different artistic interpretations of things, and different. You get to see different people's ideas about, like, well, what's Batman? Right. I don't know. Maybe Batman is a knight in the medieval world. Like, what's that look like? You're not likely to see a movie like that, but there's comic books like that. Yeah, for sure. So, in terms of, so let's talk about. Um, relevance 
of like comics. So outside, I mean, obviously they're relevant when it comes to entertainment. We just, you know, briefly talked about how that's, you know, how many millions of copies like Superman sold as a form of entertainment like back in the day. What other relevance do you see that comics um, provide in the world today? Kind of a lot of different things and kind of really just continuing the same roles that they've always played. Like, um, comics were very, um, like the underground comics with um, American Splendor um, and uh, Crumb, I can't think of his first name, but, um, you know, some of these, like, crusty, angry dudes who took superhero (laughs) comics and then made them about disaffected middle-class people pondering, you know, social situations that they were facing. Um, And a lot of them got into kind of progressive politics and (coughs) asking social questions in different ways, and it's continuing now. There's a really great publisher that I love out of California called Black Mask, and almost all of their books are have some kind of political or social resonance. Like, there's a series that just started called Breathless, which is about, um, there's this company that does the secret research work, and there are, like, alien monster things running around on the streets that they kind of police and keep people from finding out about. So they find this one and crack it open in their lab, and... um, so Crack one of the monsters open, like yeah, an autopsy. Like it, yeah, like it got it got killed. Okay, and they're they're doing an autopsy, and so they open its chest cavity and it pops open, and one of the lab workers is standing there and she inhales when it happens and realizes that it's cured her horrible asthma that she had that she she had very serious concerns about being able to afford this medication that she absolutely has to have to live through no fault of her own, right. but with you know insurance the way it is. <clears throat> And pharma business, the way it is, like that's a reality that so a lot of people relevant deal today, with. Yeah. yeah. So this cures her, and the lab is like, "Well, we're not telling anyone about this. We need to figure out how we can make money off." So of this they want first. to privatize it exactly like yeah. how they do everything these days. Yeah. So it's a sci-fi story with monsters and and young female heroes running around and stuff, but it's it's questions of bioethics. They have another one that just started called "Come Into Me." about a guy who develops this technology where you can actually switch people's consciousness from body to body. Whoa. And so, yeah, so he switches with a woman who is very pushy and kind of mysterious to start out with. And um, and they both have really weird reactions to it. And, uh, and I know a lot of people who are trans or... Um, uh, a gender or you know any anywhere on a variety of spectrums like that so I got super excited to tell a bunch of them because when you when you look at an idea like that that's been in sci-fi all the time but you set it now when there's so, there are questions about lots of legislation being argued over yeah it and, and people and people just talking more openly about like what does your physical gender have to do with your the way your that mental you feel. emotional makeup yeah, so then they and they <coughs> play around with that and then of course when they've switched bodies the one of them dies and so they're both Trapped. of them are in the one guy's head oh. and vying for control for it. So you've got like 
a bunch of different things there. They have another book called Cal Exit, which is written by the guy who started the company. Okay. And it's about uh, the the split in the political ideology in California and the more liberal parts of Southern California break off and declare independence. <laughs> so I feel like that should happen in real life. Yeah. So the, <laughs> well, and there, there's legislation about that now, splitting California into two separate states that they're trying to get on the ballot, or it is on the ballot or something. But so he, he was just weirdly right on the right on top of all of this stuff as it's bubbling up, but he lives there too, so it's... Right, right. You know. Um, but so they send in the National Guard, and the president is based on our current president, and uh, so you, you get this situation then where there are, like, loyalist cells that break out, and you've got, like, a mini civil war happening, but they're trying to not have it be a civil war, and... Um, and the the central character is like this bike messenger guy that runs around and does deliveries between all these different groups and he gets stuck in in kind of one of the core conflicts with people but then um matt pizzolo is the name of the guy who writes the book and who runs black mask he decided that when he was looking at all of this that he wanted to have it be more involved with real life than just this kind of well what if what if kind of thing yeah so he in the back of each issue he started doing features on different like grassroots politicians in california and talking about the process of getting involved with local politics and how that keeps you moving up a chain and what grassroots is and does and by the second or third issue uh, he was using the money that he was making off of the book to form his own political action committee. Wow. And then reporting on, like, how he went about doing that and what he's doing with it. So all the money that he's making from the book is being put into this political action committee that is working To actually make real with, change happen. Yeah. And, and working with politicians that have views that are kind of similar to, but obviously not as drastic as what right, they've got going sure. on in the book. Um, but it's really fascinating being like, is, are these ideas that you like thinking about, is this kind of a neat fictional thing to you? Well, this is all going on in the real world to some degree. So here's how you can be actively engaged in all of this. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and they've got, like, a lot of their books are like that. And I'm trying to think of any more off the top of my head, but it's like every single one of their books. That's super so, cool. Yeah, Did they carry yeah. any of those at the source? Oh, yeah, all of them. I'll have to go check those. Matter of okay. fact, tomorrow, because I'm sure I got stuff in the box I need to get. <laughs> yeah, and I just I just reordered Breathless and Come Into Me because I've been talking about them so much that I keep going through the issues on the shelf. So. All right, so I'm, I'm gonna have to pick some of those up. Mm-hmm. And the, I think the first trade for Exit is coming out in a couple months. So, okay. Because they sold through the first three printings of the first issue, which is just unheard of for a publisher that small. Wow. So it's yeah, it's it's cool that. You know, they're finding there are audiences for this stuff out there too. And then, you know, you've got other things like. Um, Why don't you uh, uh, briefly kind of talk about? Because I remember you kind of hit me to that. Uh, remember, I, I picked up that miniseries Noble. And oh, sure. you, I thought it was pretty cool that you're telling me. So that's a, a, a black owned publisher, right? Yeah. And I'll look up his name real quick while I'm, I'm talking about this. Yeah. But Lionforge is the name of the publisher. And they yeah. have this. This whole line of superhero comics, um, 
And it's geared around, like, better representation of people of color, correct? Yeah, like, that was kind of the goal, was they walked into it being like, you know, there's there are all of these superhero universes, there are these shared universes, um, but wouldn't it be great to see representation? But when you try to shoehorn that stuff in after the fact, it doesn't really work, so what if we just create a universe that has the representation that we want to see? Right. And really designed it from the ground up that way. And so there are a number of titles in there, and um, and they've got. I love Noble. I wish that they continue on with it, but it's like it like stopped at like eight issues, I think. Yeah, and they've yeah. got they've got a bunch of other ones going in there too. There's one called Astonisher, um, Incidentals, Superb. So there's like there's like six or seven titles in the line. So uh, Dave Stewart the second and Carl Reed are the two guys who run. Um, Lion Forge, and it's headquartered in St. Louis. Okay. And they have um, they've hired uh, a whole bunch of editors and people who work there that are people of color and women and just you know like an actual really trying to diversify the yeah yeah and so make, it isn't for, so the so the it's not forced when they're coming up with the content and stuff too. It's people who can actually relate to um, some of the stories and the feelings of or whatnot of the characters are there. Yeah, absolutely. And on. one of the guys, um, uh, Joe Illich, I think his name is, was one of the editors that ran Milestone at DC hmm. um, when they introduced a whole bunch of black action hero figure types into the DC universe, and they had their own imprint based around those characters. And I will look up who the main ones were in that, too, because it's great stuff. And he... Uh, Joe Illich was um, uh, involved in that a lot. So, Milestone Comics. Oh, so Static Shock came directly out of that. I remember that title. Yeah. And who else did they have? So, Christopher Priest was involved in that initially. Um, And he did uh, Black Panther back in the 90s? Yeah. He did mid nineties. He, he did one of the couple like primary um, runs, runs on that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Static Shock, um, Blood Syndicate, uh, Shadow Cabinet, Cobalt. So obviously not all of them stuck, but it was the nineties. So there were a lot of comic books that didn't right. stick. But. Um, but yeah, they had stuff all over the place. Dwayne McDuffie was one of the guys who was a driving force behind that. And there is, um, there's a comic, um, a major comic award for like diversity and representation in comics called the Dwayne McDuffie Award that gets nominated every year now. So nice, that's awesome. Yeah. So a little bit ago too, um, you kind of referenced like some seminal moments in like comic book history or. Um, moments in comic books that really reflect like the the landscape, the social political landscape of what's going on during now. So, what are some of the the, the more uh, overarching um, or or comics that reflected some more major uh, major events in the past? Like, I remember uh, last week you briefly told me about you know you referenced Captain America like punching Hitler. Yeah. Um, cause in, and that was in a conversation you and I were having about how people were. What, what is it they were bitching about? Um, 
uh, everyone is upset. Well, and this is a lot of the like comics gate is the like offshoot yeah, 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 of Gamergate, yeah. and a lot of those oh, guys. Yeah. Coats. Uh, yep. Writing uh, Captain America. Yeah. And we were kind of talking about how, like, I mean, basically, like, like, let's call it what it is. People have an issue with Tanasi Coates writing Captain America are just racist. You know, yeah. especially when they're using the platform or the excuse of, uh, we, say that, we say it with sports all the time. Well, don't bring politics into into the writing of the comic books. It's called Captain America. Yeah, well, that's exactly like, the he's thing. He's a political yeah. fig. Like, come on. Yeah, and a lot of, the, a lot of these, like, comics gate... People who are upset about the are roles that women sexist, play in racist, comics, homophobic and stuff. Yeah. people. But their arguments are like, I don't want politics. I don't want to be preached to in my comics because this is an escapist vehicle, and um, you know, keep your social justice warrior stuff out of this. And there, there are people with these wild vendettas against creators and editors, particularly at Marvel, but in other places too. Uh, and these are people who forget that the first time you see Captain America is punching Hitler in the face on the cover of the comic before the U.S. was involved in the war. So that was that was literally Captain America runs into Germany to punch Hitler in the face right. before we are in a war with them. So, but when they're at war with other people, so that was I mean, it it don't get much more social justice warrior than that, right? Um, but the X Men is about racism. Yep. And Magneto is a Holocaust survivor. There is nothing even slightly not upfront about that book. Like if you don't understand that that is racism and that every issue of that comic it's is what a parable it's about. against racism, Malcolm, you are dumb. Magneto is Malcolm X and Charles Xavier is MLK. That's how I yeah. always saw it growing up. To and me, totally it was accurate. obvious and plain as day. It was obvious and plain as day. And I wasn't even into really like even when I was younger, like I didn't even get the dynamics mm-hmm. of you know uh, huge social political you know issues like that with race and how they how they really uh, uh, come to play in our everyday life until that was something that I didn't really start to become more aware of and get the the nuances and stuff like that until like towards the end of high school, then college, then coming out of college because you're more well versed in that type of stuff and you're reading, you know more material about that mm-hmm. um but even i as a little kid who wasn't into politics or social justice at the time like i knew who those two figures were you know yeah i knew who malcolm x and mlk were and i had uh you know because of you know they were talked about in school and they were talked about in my household and it was easy for me to make that parallel as a little kid that professor x was mlk and magneto was malcolm x both want to save you know you know uh, uh, the mutant mutant race, which is an extrapolation or you know or, or a figment of like African Americans or people of color, but one wanted to do it by coexisting in peaceful means, and the other was like, hell no, we got to fight this. The only way we're going to make it is if we fight and fight these people and win our freedom that way. And so yeah. like yeah, like it's people who make that complaint like it doesn't make sense. It's been going on forever. Just you can say it's been like. There were like subliminal messages passed on, but some of them weren't that subliminal. No, nope. like if I could figure that out as a kid, like that's not really that subliminal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's and you know, and I, I mean, and I think that's a reason why kids like like the Hunger Games. Like kids really respond to moral conflict like that in books because it's 
Exactly. It's a really safe space for them to think about that kind of thing because it's not impacting their life directly. This is a totally hypothetical kind of thing, but they're fascinated by it. They see it. They understand it. Everybody does. It's a it's a great way to play with those arguments, which is why politics, you know, you can address it with sci-fi and stuff and talk about pharma business and bioethics in a comic book with aliens and monsters running around because you it's a really cool way to... You gotta put that on my pull list. You know that when you get oh, back to work. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's good. You'll like it. But, um, yeah, so it's... It's so deeply ingrained in everything that has made comics what they are. It is absolutely ridiculous to say that. And as people get old, you know, and I mean, I was talking about how when comics started, millions and millions of people read Superman whenever it came out. But there were also romance comics. There was there was an Archie Comics produced line about uh, Millie the model, who was a supermodel, and she went around and... Um, and sci-fi stuff and horror stuff and pulp detective novels and there there's literally a comic book for everything and for people to be upset about it saying that that a specific type of book shouldn't exist is also equally as ridiculous as saying as like they shouldn't be political just be, it's like it doesn't it's a complete antithesis of what comics were when they started right it's like the whole make america great again thing it's like what are you what are you talking about when it was great in the first place what <laughs> it, it, you're not it's it, there are these weird standards that just have to do with you know a lot it's of hidden messaging it's yeah. what it is when people think about you know there's a there's a certain amount of nostalgia that goes along with comics and a certain comforting idea that you know on Wednesdays these colorful awesome stories that are very transportive and very much escapist um, are there for you and it's a great way to take a break from your life and get engaged in this other thing so I understand why people might not want that as their book because there's a million other books for you to pick from but when you make it like a part-time job to sit on the internet and wail about how you don't have a life is what you don't yeah have. well and saying that <laughs> and saying that like uh, an incredibly accomplished um writer re- yes who has who has done all kinds of important work about being in america currently shouldn't be writing captain america is utter nonsense because they you know? switch up writers on this stuff <laughs> all the time like right let him like come if there in was any time for him to be writing this book, it was now. Because like I'll be the first one to tell you, like I've never. It's Captain America is one of the books that I like. I never really subscribed to, and never really like uh, was an ardent reader of. Uh, and especially the last, as I became more like um, more of a social justice warrior myself, and more uh, active, and and make sure that I'm more like educated on all these different topics. It was almost a thing where it's like I didn't want to see a Captain America. Like I wanted to burn all Captain America comic books. I'm just like who does he st- like what does he represent? He doesn't represent me. To me in my mind I was like Captain America represents like wealthy white men and women who have no have no uh um uh, desire to make me feel Included in this country, much the way I felt about, like, I feel about, you know, Independence Day. 
Like independence for who? Right. You know, or, you know, the Star Spangled Banner, something like that. So when when I heard, you know, I've read a lot of, you know, almost all the coaches' material. When I heard that he was writing, when you first, because I, I learned about it from you. When you told me he was writing, I was like, okay, now I'm going to start reading it. I want to I want to see if he does if he does what I think he can do if he can turn me on to it and I bought the the first issue you know the first mm-hmm. issue um that he wrote about it and so far I've you know I can kind of see that first issue really uh really reflects this day and age like some of the things that are talking about I was like okay I think I can actually start to read this title um and so I almost feel like it's a it's a do it's a duty for him to write that book, yeah, and write it the, in the way that he is, so yeah, and and it's Captain America having the reputation that he has had is exactly what you were saying because I had zero interest in Captain America up until several years ago for the exact same reasons because I was like this is you know and I saw the action figures that the boys that I knew when I was little had and I was just like that is the epitome of uninteresting to me because <laughs> that is and even as like one of the whitest white people that you can get like, <laughs> I looked at that and I didn't see anything that I could really identify with it either because it is he is such a masculine archetype that there was a very narrow set of people who could it's look like, at that and be like that's my that? guy yeah. but you know he's also a product of the 60s and you know this coming off of World War Two and all of the comic book heroes are odd because they were meant to be pulp creations for the moment. Right. They were never. I don't think that they were ever intended to be a thing that kept going forever and ever. For decades. Especially not right. getting their costumes updated and stuff. It's 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 ridiculous altogether. But and like no one. I mean, if you don't know anything about comics, you have no reason to suspect that Captain America is anything other than what you were saying he was but his first introduction was busting into into Europe during their wartime to be like America's here punching you in the face and he had a lot of really great monologues about the fact that um, every time a lot of the Captain America stories revolve around um, a corrupt part of the government um forming a plan and then being like Captain America you're America you're gonna fight with us for this and then Captain America is like no I am here's the things that are America this is the idea that I'm loyal to I am not loyal to a cabinet a party a system of government boy do we need that message these days right (laughs) yeah but it gets lost in the righted out white dude who you know you it's he was not created as like a a boring as as like a static kind of thing. I mean, this is the same this is the same people who were making the X-Men at roughly the same time, which was not at all like a subtle message. It was a super clear like that's what it was presented as. This was during the civil rights movement. Right. Like the early parts of it. So to not see that as what it is 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 ludicrous. But I didn't really see that in Captain America either until the Marvel movie where they reintroduced him. And when I heard that they were making that, I was like, 
great, whatever. I don't. I could not care less. I did, about yeah, this movie. I didn't make. I didn't make it a point to go see it. I wound up seeing it like it came on like TV. Yeah. And I sat and watched it, but I didn't go spend any money on it. Cause I was like, I don't have any interest in Captain America. But it's kind of like Captain America as a personality in the books is so low key, right? That the action speaks for him a lot of the time and that action is generally punching Nazis and <laughs> you just kind of it, it glosses over it we so. got a couple for him to punch these days oh god yeah yeah <laughs> which is why I'm so excited to see what Coates does because I am too he could clean house well he kind of already does it in this first issue with uh, with those those bots yeah yep yeah with the American flag painted all over their face mm-hmm. how about that it's a it's really interesting to to see how Captain America has changed too, and to see, you know, you're talking about relevance outside of um, of the movies and everything, but Captain America has really been reflective of what's going on because when the threats are all external around World War II, and you get him running over into Europe to punch and to fight this bad shit that's going on because it's bad, uh, that's a very obvious reflection of what's going on and then as you get into you know the 70s 80s 90s you have these secret cabals in the government that are trying to manipulate him and stuff and it's that's very much what people were worried about and you get your jfk conspiracy the x-files is a huge thing like this is what people say oh i do too yeah i wish that never went away Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a new comic book uh, out this week that's another X-Files story that's really? just starting up. Yep. Might have to go get that. Like, every time I talk to you, I wind up blowing a bunch of money. <laughs> At least every day I go to work, I wind up blowing a bunch of money. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then you, and then now when he, when he fights those guys, for people who haven't read it, there's, there's something that is brainwashing otherwise good people and turning them into these um, um, fascist drones, and they get carried away with, you know, these these forces from outside of themselves that corrupt what starts as a good idea and gets twisted into a ridiculous, violent, horrible version of it. And Cap is there to pull them back from that. Right. So, um, yeah, it's it's. Very much, you know, the reason that this stuff has stuck around for so long is because it does resonate so deeply with people when, whether it's a reflection of what's going on or a statement about what should be going on um, or just something totally fanciful. Like, you know, I was going to say Thanos in space and punching there and everything, but even Thanos is like, is. There's even a messages beside exactly. Yeah, I was about to say that. Like, if you look at the reason, like, and this is the thing. This is this is um, how I look at any like well fleshed out villain or whatever. Um, and I think it's why I've always kind of been more drawn towards villains than anything. If you look at most of the good ones, if you look at their real reason for behaving the way they are, it usually actually comes from a place that's like logical and good. Mm-hmm. It's just that over time it's been twisted and instead of like doing like this like really like long drawn out quote unquote straight lace way of getting about it, it's like, nah, you just gotta get dirty to get yep. it done. And it, it and, and like you like you just referenced Thanos himself, like it's not because he just really wants to kill everybody and he wants to dominate everything. It's because he's just like we're using up all the resources. 
so half the population needs to go. Yeah. And that's when you look at it, it's an altruistic thought. It's a demented way of getting to it, right. but it's an altruistic thought. And there are other ways to get there. But right. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. What other um, what other books do you think throughout time, like, like really, like, can you draw that parallel, like, with huge moments in history, like I said, like, you see, like you drew Cap and Hitler. What what other ones? See if you can name off a couple others. Ooh, um, there's there's things that always pop up that are kind of subtle too. Um, that's a go to because it was such an iconic one. But like um, they did an issue of Spider Man where Obama was on the cover right after he got elected. Elected. And they printed that like. 12 times or something ridiculous because so many, <laughs> many people, people bought so it. many copies. Right. Um, there's a little bit of a reverse one where um, there was an issue with uh, the death of Superman. I, got, I remember I got 90s. that. That was the one of the first times I remember um, my little hobby not being so like I wasn't one of the only ones doing it. Because I remember it made the news. Oh, yeah. Everybody was going out to buy those. Mm-hmm. And I remember at that time, I couldn't even get it. I had to, like, it was one of the few times. You know how I got it? I got it for Christmas. <laughs> one of my family members ordered it for me, and I got it for Christmas. Because everybody was getting it. I'm like, oh, lo and behold, I'm a big dork and I'm a big nerd, <laughs> and I can come and get this anytime I want, and now all of a sudden I can't get it anywhere. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely remember that moment. Like, they were, like it was yesterday. Yeah, but that that is that's something that's been taken and used in pop culture all over the place too, because you get the um, the flag and the the empty costume and and yeah, stuff on yeah. the cover of that, and that pops up all over the place, especially for like a decade after it happened. Um, yep. They did it on other magazine covers and um, and all over the place. Um, trying to Superman fought Muhammad Ali in an issue and it, I think it was a draw I think they agreed to, to call a truce in that so there's there's always people popping up and stuff uh, they did uh, there was a there was a 9-11 tribute issue of something and I don't remember what it was I think it was a Marvel thing and it was their like salute to the Twin Towers thing so it's gotten less because like there was also a lot of um, war propaganda that mm-hmm. used cartoon stuff, and so there were there were comics involved in that. Um, and depending on what you want to call propaganda, I mean, you can you can find stuff from the Vietnam era and right. Korea and all of those other conflicts. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the Hitler one is is kind of a high watermark for for comics but um, yeah but even I mean even now like um, they did a um, so Exiles is a comic where they sell it in a mid right yes actually yes yeah. and he then they it's they bounce around to like different versions of the Marvel Universe collecting like alternate versions of the characters and they meet <laughs> I saw like the little comical looking Wolverine yeah kid Wolverine <laughs> uh, is from a world where everyone looks like that 
and they're all like quite happy and stuff and bad things happen to it so it looks almost like japanimation yeah like he does Right. Yeah, and it was, I mean, it was kind of like one of these joke shtick things that they did, and then people realized that they could pull, like, goofy, happy kid Wolverine into other intense, sad Marvel situations, and it's a really easy comedic relief <laughs> sort of thing, so it's, they mix it up with them. Um, but they did an issue where they went and found Peggy Carter, and she was Captain America in the world where they were, so they did a variant cover that was her as Rosie the Riveter. And, um, and you know, it's not something that um, gets the level of attention like like Cat Punching Hitler, but... Um, Definitely some tie, tie-ins. Yeah, though. and especially with how popular the Agent Carter show was on ABC. Um, like, Peggy is a character that people know from the movies and stuff now, yep, too. Yep. So, and it, it definitely made its rounds on the internet. So it, That's cool. That's cool. I like that. I just wanted to you know draw that out so like people who aren't familiar with it could have some some good reference points. Oh sure. Some stuff to draw them in. And so, uh, you know, another question I would have here um, is: Do you think comic books will ever be something that are phased out or become irrelevant? I personally don't think so, and I hope not. Just because of a lot of the various a lot of the same reasons that we just said, they are. Over you know decades, they have been there to deliver a lot of social commentary, mm-hmm. and you know people are able to connect with them through a lot of relevant um, relevant issues that either happen with them personally, uh, happen in their neighborhoods, social political you know socially and politically. Um, I think maybe the medium might change as things become a lot more high tech. You know, maybe people, maybe we might not see very many uh, hard copies available, you know, 30, 40, 50 years from now. But I still still think that they will be around and be relevant. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that comics are uh, an art form that's here to stay. The fact that um, the industry survived the massive crash in the 90s where two-thirds of comic book stores went out of business um, and bounced back and... Uh, are it's a it's a vibrant industry. It's kind of it's kind of a niche industry, but right. it's it's doing very well. Um, and it has something to do with the movies, but it's also the fact that the movies were successful because those ideas existed in people's minds, and everyone was like, "Oh, I love Spider Man. I'm going to go see these yeah. movies." And I think people, much like you know, maybe you and I kind of talked about our experiences once we kind of got into it, like. People, are as they go through different stages of life, they're wanting to kind of reconnect to that part of their childhood mm-hmm. or that fun part. As we see, as we're seeing every day in the news, and like there's so, like there's so much serious, so many serious things going on in the world today and with our lives. Even though a lot of these stories um, are revolving around like very important issues, it's still like a like a fun way of 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 packaging it to it and delivering it to you. Mm-hmm. So it's not as depressing as looking at the news. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And so I feel like people are wanting to connect back with that. And that's another reason why I don't feel like they will ever they will ever go away. Yeah, well, and I mean, just the fact that every issue of comics is packaged in, you know, an artistic creation. Right. Like there's not that many places for drawing and painting to enter into your life. But when you're reading a comic, that's that's absolutely what you're doing. The art is there and is it's as important as 
mm-hmm. as anything else that you're looking at in there. And um, you, you just don't see it anywhere else in culture exactly the same way because photography kind of usurped so much other illustration in in all kinds of publications. Right. Not that in my, like I said, my emphasis in my degree was photography, so I certainly don't have any problems with that. But, um, but it's just the way it is. And um, I think that political cartoons are really related to comics. Yep. And especially now, the number of them that I see in my timelines is nuts. And a lot of them are much more impactful than opinion pieces by people that I'm sick of hearing from. <laughs> Even if they're people I agree with, I'm like, no, I get it. This is, I get you it. You like them over that, babe. Yeah. But, you know, when you've got a really incisive observation along with a goofy picture of that giant baby balloon in London. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's impactful. And it's impactful in ways that, you know, when you, again, when, when you see images, it makes your brain work differently. And you're going to engage with this piece of information and this, this thing that's eliciting an emotional response from you differently. So it's a, it's a different interaction that you have with the op-ed if you do read it. And even if you are engaging with it and you're like, this is, this is absolutely an essential thing that everyone needs to read and we're all going to benefit from this, you can still have that experience with a political cartoon or a comic book, but it's different, even if you're getting to the same place with it. And some people are much, much more visually oriented than other people. Right. So it's always just going to be an easier way for some people to process information. And um, and there are really a lot of people who have done incredible things with comics. Um, the Watchmen is always something that people talk about. That's a book that's got stuff. I mean... That movie was epic. Yeah, and, and the book is far crazier. It is a dark, dark book. And, and the artwork in it. Yeah. And I, there are so many people who read it as their first comic. I'm like, just don't do that. Like, you need to... <laughs> it's so dark and intense. And so much of it relies on on understanding some stuff about comics because it kind of comments on the art. And you, you get so much more out of it if you... So I'm just, just read like two or three books before you read Watchmen. Jump into and then, that. Yeah. It's like, that's heavy. It's like if you're, you know, you're learning to drive... You know, take the Escort, the Ford Escort. Take the, sure. You know, take the Ford Tempo. You don't jump in a Lamborghini right off the bat. Right. <laughs> but then, you know, and, and the thing about this comic book Lamborghini then, too, is that, I mean, the mileage out of it is unreal. You can read that thing five or six times and get different stuff out of it every time. Right. It's They could make 30 different movies based off of that book, and none of them would be the same. Because there are... That's there saying are, a lot. There are entire subplots that they left out of the movie entirely. It's it's one of those things that when people were saying they were going to make a movie out of it, anyone who'd actually read the book was just like, "How, How are you going to do that?" Yeah. This is it's like it's literally like three different comic books that are kind of mashed together in one. And sort of like how they're doing like Infinity Wars. I was just like, I you know, I looked yeah. at that and I'm just like, you can't get that in one movie. And I knew it wasn't going to be a one a one shot. Even though they weren't saying it, mm-hmm. I knew that it wasn't going to be one movie. And I'm like, and even now I'm just like, I'm wondering how they're only going to make it two without cheapening it. Like, yeah. I feel like there has to be three to it. Yeah, I don't, I will see. I mean, we'll be, yeah. we'll see, but I don't know. 
Oh, but one of my one of my other um, examples that I love giving people of of a comic that you can read as your first comic, um, that is like a really tremendous piece of literature is um, a book called Fun Home by Alison Bechtel. It's good because that was going to be one of my questions. Another question I have for you is like, um, what are are there any like recommendations for new titles, or not new titles, but for anybody looking to get into them, like? What should they go to? What should they look for, you know, look to read first to get them into it? Sure. I always, I kind of, it's like, it's a loaded question because, mm-hmm. like, the the catalog of comics out there is just immense. And it's so subjective, too. Right. But I do have a couple go-tos that, that tend to, to be really good for people. So, so Fun Home, like I was saying, uh, they made a Broadway musical based off of it. That I have gotten to see as well, and it's a really cool adaptation. But um, but it's it's an autobiog it's an autobiographical work mostly, and um, it's about the fact that she grew up um, in a funeral home, like that's what her <laughs> family did. But uh, they always they always referred to it as the fun home because the first three letters of funeral are F U N. Right. So. That's like a the whole so the whole that premise wasn't what of the I was thinking when you called dark, it fun home too yeah. like <laughs> so the whole premise of the book is a real dark joke, but um, it's all about her relationship with her father and this weird stuff that happens that just makes it very difficult for her to reconcile like the person that she knows as her dad with the person that she knows was her dad. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little bit of a spoiler to give it away, but. Um, it is a deeply fascinating book, and then with just a weird family history on top of it, and she is one of the smartest people in comics. She did a follow-up to it uh, that came out like four or five years ago, and it's called Are You My Mother? And um, Fun Home is all line drawings with these uh, kind of turquoise washes in it that fill it in, and so she it's her same regular style um, in the second book, but it's got more of a fuchsia pinky kind of wash so uh-huh. then it's a play on the like genders of this is her relationship with her dad and it's a very masculine right oriented thing and then the thing with her mom is really the story of all the therapy that she had been in and the story of like processing her relationship with her living mother um with these therapists and getting deep into psychoanalytic theory about why everything has happened the way it has and her her dad is no longer living when she's writing the book about the the book Fun Home, um, but her mom is still alive in the one she's doing about her. So they're like especially taken together and comparing and contrasting them. Um, it's fascinating and absolutely as um, artistic and um, and affecting as any novel I've ever read. Um, so there's there's like that kind of thing. Um, I was telling you recently about Joe Seiko, mm-hmm. who is uh, a war reporter, but his medium of reporting is comics. Yep. So he's done books. Um, one of the earlier ones he does is called The Fixer, about the time that he spent in Bosnia during their their con their massive conflict, and and it's called The Fixer because it's all kind of about the conflict and his um, his trip there specifically to report on it, but it all revolves around everything that the fixer that they're traveling with is doing for him 
and how that guy keeps them alive going back and forth between warlords and political factions and just a, a wild war zone that was this just country. bartering and making deals to get everything get through the days yeah, yeah yeah and then just the very ugly realities of what does what does the job of a fixer look like in a modern war climate right so it's and i mean he's it's not um it's it's from his point of view when he's narrating it the uh joe seiko but as a war reporter, it's a work of nonfiction that he's looking to convey the information that you would get from, you know, like a, a long feature in the Atlantic or something. Right. But, but it's in the form of this comic. And being able to get visual information, especially about something as nebulous as a war zone to someone like me from the Midwest who has no direct experience with it, is huge. So I, I love that book. And he did another one later called Palestine which was all about the time that he spent in Gaza and in in the refugee camps with the Palestinians and then um, also in Israel. And it's, it's a really fascinating book because he is not seeking to... He has no agenda in it other than to report what he's seeing. And obviously, when you're in a refugee camp for Palestinians versus sitting in a cafe in Tel Aviv you're getting very different emotional information and so there's a very clear like which one of these things is a more pressing situation to deal with and obviously right. I mean it's the camps it's and the camps you can't not feel for the Palestinians but he really really makes a point of explaining you know someone who's born into um, Israel like Israeli citizens who are my age were born into this situation as much as the Palestinians in the camp are born into that situation. And so you get this inherited history of everything and the insulation and um, and I think those are those are probably the ideas that he communicates most effectively in the book that really helped me totally restructure my understanding of that situation and he puts a he puts a human face on it in a way that's so much more understandable than than just an article of which I've read many and there are many really wonderful things like that too but but a good graphic novel is going to be something that gives you something that you can't necessarily get from just a piece of literature without any illustrations like that's kind of the whole point right so it's really amazing to see the different things that people can do with that. Um, and then for people who are curious about superhero books but feel like they can't quite jump into any of the bigger universe stuff, I always recommend Matt Fraction's run on Hawkeye because um, it's essentially a book about what Hawkeye does when he's not with the Avengers, which is he lives in kind of a crappy brownstone <laughs> and... He has all of these neighbors who know that he's Hawkeye, and they, they're they like, oh, that's great, yep, hey, Hawkeye. And he's always saying, oh, God, please stop calling me that. It's like, it's a secret identity because it's a secret. Like, please stop saying this. It's dangerous <laughs> for me and you for people to know who I am. Please stop calling me that. And they're like, okay, Hawkeye, see you later. <laughs> and he's got a guy who lives upstairs who's kind of like, um, I imagine him as uh, Teddy from Bob's Burgers. That's how I hear his voice in my head. 
and he's always calling Clint Hawk guy because he just is he has misheard this right and Clint keeps trying to correct him and every time every time he's like no it's Hawkeye and he's like yeah yeah Hawkeye so it's more it's it's kind of like that run of vision that was out a while back where it was like yeah. not much about the it's not so much about the superhero life it's the it's the home life it's the it's the life outside of yeah it. and and Clint definitely gets wrapped up in a whole bunch of situations and there are all of these like Eastern European gangsters in his part of New York and they're constantly beating the crap out of him and throwing bags on his head and dragging him places and and making him deal with that and then he's always limping home and. He's got a dog, and the dog is great. His name is Lucky. And there's an episode, or there's an issue of the comic, which is completely from the dog's point of view, and the dog thinks in, like, little emojis and symbols and punctuation, and he's going around looking for Clint and keeps running into everybody. And so he knows, you know, a couple words of English, and so these Eastern European gangster guys he keeps running into call everybody bro. So... Like, he sees them, and they're all talking in the word bro to each other constantly. And <laughs> so it's just, it really, you know, it takes all the things that are really fun about a superhero comic and recontextualizes them for an adult. Right. Not that kids can't read it, but um, but it's, it's just, it's, it's a great way to be like, yeah, there are, there are a million different kinds of comics. And even within superhero books, there are a million different kinds of superhero books. And there's something for everyone, and the whole point of them is that they're fun. I can dig it. So then this next one is like a two-part. This is more of a two-part question. And and it basically is like, do you think the the population of comic book readers will like grow or shrink? And why? And um, so I get, then I guess it's a three-part question. Because the other thing that I wanted to ask is... What do you think that a lot of the, the these comic writers need to do to grow their readership? So I think that the number of people who make comics will just keep growing because there are all of these computer programs now that help you assemble a book instead of just being like you needed to know someone who could make a comic book. Anyone can make a comic book now. Right. There's all kinds of websites where you can just load in templates and make a comic book and get them printed. I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. There's and uh, tons and tons of resources, and there are so many independent comics publishers that make books for all kinds of different people, and there are people who only make, like, academic, instructional-oriented comic books because people see that you can use them for so many different things now. Um, so, and, and, you know, just as it becomes more mainstream and more people see them, more people are going to want to make them. And because self-publishing is a thing that you can do and you can use Kickstarter to get the funds for a campaign if you can't afford printing something yourself or, um, or whatever. And Comic-Cons are a thing and you can go to an artist alley and walk around and talk to people who make books about, here's my idea, how do you think I should get started? And you know, there are, there are so many, and the internet in general, there are just so many more resources than there have been. And it's resulted in so many people making books. And there are a number of colleges around the country that offer comics as a specific major at art schools. That um, I did not know either. MCAT in Minneapolis was actually one of the first, if not the first, one of the first um, and that's art a pretty. To offer that that's a, a pretty. Yeah, I was gonna say that's what. A, that's a pretty good school. Yeah. For artists. 
And we, I mean, they have a very good comics program um, with a lot of uh, people who live in the area that work for Marvel and DC and Image and any other number of smaller publishers that that come and, and mentor and help out and everything. And um, so, you know, the more the more people you get in the profession, the more professional mentorship and guidance there is. And it just leads to more and more people doing that. And then, like any kind of art degree, you can really take that stuff and put it everywhere. Right. Like there are lots of comics creators, artists in particular, who um, get full-time employment storyboarding in Hollywood. Like, it's, it's become a huge thing for people who start out making comics to actually leave comics to be a full-time storyboard artist for um, cartoon series and different animated things and even live-action things. So, um, so it's, it, it's, there's so many options for a kid who's like, oh, man, I love comics. I want to make comics. There's so many ways to go about doing that and so many venues to get into parts of it or use parts of it in other careers that... Um, that's part of why I don't think that comics will go away because they're they're at this point where they're so accessible. Right, and that, and I think uh, I've noticed the titles these days are a lot more inclusive and a lot mm-hmm. more representative of than they used to be. Like I saw, like like homosexuality is represented, like Iceman, like oh yeah, yeah, you know, with Iceman being gay, there are the new Hulk. Amadeus Cho is Asian, you know. Black, you know, get the rise of Black Panther. Falcon had his individual series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about Miss Marvel. Um, Moon Girl is actually the smartest character in the Marvel universe. Yeah, so you got and she's a she's a little African American girl. Yeah, so we're starting to get all these different this different forms of representation out there, mm-hmm. and so I think that in itself is going to only help. Um, grow the base and attract more people as far as who reads it. Um, Because I know it's definitely been exciting for me. If you look at, you know, back when I originally started collecting and you look at the titles versus all the ones that I'm collecting now, it's a stark difference in between, like, how the world is viewed, how different people are represented, their personalities, like, the whole nine yards. And I think that that's awesome. Um, yeah, and well, it's long and, overdue. Yeah, and we were just talking before, like right before you hit the record button, about um, Nettie Okorafor yeah, writing yep. a new series all about Shuri. Sure, yeah. If you people, if it, you know, for all you who are li- are listening to this, you better be, you know, just be on the lookout for that. It's going to be epic. Yeah, and I mean anything Nettie Okorafor does, she's like an amazing Afrofuturist writer, and you know, and every time they do this, like. When Black Panther number one came out by Tanahashi Coates, um, we had hundreds of people who came in and they were like, "I have no idea what a comic book is, but I want this." <laughs> so you get you get people who are established exactly. and they bring in a new set of people to see comics. And you know, not everyone stuck around, but we've got people who who came in that that read books now that they never would have found otherwise, and they really connected with something. And um, it's so important. Yeah, it's so important. Um, and I think that's a cue that a lot of other industries, whether it be with books, clothing, even education and other professional fields, need to take note of. Mm-hmm. Like, you want to be more popular, you want to grow your base, like, st- do better recruiting. And the best recruiter is representation. 
Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's one thing to go out and say, oh, you can do this or we want you to do this. But if people don't see anything that resembles them in that field, in that, you know, in those clothes, in those shoes, in, you know, whatever that is, like, it's, it's you know, the best, the best recruiter is representation, period, hands down. Yeah. There's nothing else I can re- even really, you know, say about that. Well, especially when you're looking at something like an artistic creation, you know, you're never going to get something better than from the source. So exactly. when you have, like, Ms. Marvel is a really fantastic book, I think in large part because it's written by G. Willow Wilson, who is a woman who, um, uh, oh, I, I think she I think she converted as an adult to, to Islam. Um, you know, but she's writing about a Pakistani-American struggling with issues of, um, you know, identity and trying to figure out how to be a Muslim in America it makes sense that if you have a Muslim write it, right? That's you get more. <laughs> it makes more sense. Yeah, you you get details, more and empathetic view of it, richness in the story that you wouldn't have otherwise. Not that there aren't sympathetic people who can do similar things. Like comics are still very predominantly written by white dudes, but there are a lot of them who who go out of their way to try and write stories about and from the perspective of people who are different than they are because that's the kind of stuff that they want to read. Right. And that does help open the door then for other people coming in. So For sure. It's Yeah, but then you but yeah, when you when you get someone who is the person that they're is writing it about and lives it, it makes a, a huge difference. Exactly. So you know, we we've talked a lot about you've you've mentioned on a lot of different uh, artists, different writers, different type of books. But who are your favorite? Um, who are your favorite artists and writers, and and your favorite characters or books? So one of my favorite artists is a guy named Christian Ward, who uh, does really bizarre, um, colorful kind of. Not psychedelic, but there's not really another word for it. For it's like cosmic, crazy shit that he does. And when you use the word psychedelic, people already even know what it means. Like, it's just easy. People right. know exactly what that means. They can yeah. picture it. Yeah. So it's, it's less psychedelic, like, 70s colors, more psychedelic current sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, he's doing the art on, on the book about Shuri that's coming up. So I'm just like... Well, oh, wait, no, 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 that's different. That's He's doing the art on a book by G. Willow Wilson, and it's like a space thing that they're doing. So I'm super excited about that. But I, every book that he's worked on, I have adored. Um, two of my favorite people in comics are doing a new book called Isola. And they're guys who were friends starting in elementary school. And then one of them became a writer, and the other one is an artist. And they both pursued work in comics and have shared a studio for a lot of the time and um, are now doing work for Marvel and DC and, and came up in comics together. And this year they put out the comic that they've been wanting to make together for like 10 years. And it's called Isola. And it's a very Miyazaki-influenced um, comic book. So like Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away and the, the big fantasy anime-style movies. Right. So it's this... Um, dreamy, disgustingly beautiful um, kind of naturalistic book that just drops you in where this young 
palace guard is trying to protect and get her queen somewhere and the queen has been changed into this giant uh like turquoise and black tiger and they're on the run from all these people in the woods and there are these magical native people that are different from the two main groups that are going after her but it's just uh it's um Brendan Fletcher is the writer and Carl Kershaw is the artist and Brendan showed me pictures on his phone like three years ago of some of the early art that they were kicking around for it and I have been dying for that book to come out ever since so when does it come when does it uh, drop? the fourth issue was just out last week oh so, so it's already out so it's it started this year and uh, it was a long wait and it's totally been worth it in. yeah it's it's really great um Matt Fraction who wrote the Hawkeye book that I was talking about yeah. um, has written a bunch of other stuff and is one of my favorites. He does this absolutely bonkers book called Sex Criminals with a guy named Chip Zdarsky who is also a complete wingnut and <laughs> but wonderful. Um, and there, there are two guys who are just brilliant and um, just run with weird stuff. So this is a book about a guy and he finds out that when he has an orgasm, time stops and he can like move around in the frozen world and everything is like and just manipulate everything shiny yeah so he realizes this and then is like oh my god what could i do with this and he starts doing it at work so that he can sneak into his boss's office and take a dump in his plant (laughs) and then leave and so his boss can't figure out who is pooping in his plant in his office and um so he, he you know he tries to think of some other stuff that he can do and it doesn't come up with anything very exciting and then he meets this um young woman whose name is Susie the guy's name is John and uh and she can do the same thing and they're like well her the library she works at is going to go out of business and they need money and everything and they're like why don't we just rob a bank and that's why it's called sex criminals interesting and uh and it is a and I talked to Chip like like the mind year. some of these people have, like some of these uh, authors have to have to come up with these storylines. Yeah. Is like, it's hilarious. And this it's, is a book I want to like, tell everybody about at the store, but I <laughs> never do because it's not something that like, it's it's very hard <laughs> to figure out who you can tell that to. Like, who's going to receive it well and who's going to yeah. be like, um... Because it's kind of a long explanation to get to why the title is funny. Right. And not, like, something deeply disturbing. <laughs> and these guys just have dark senses of humor. So the book is just a dark, dirty, ridiculous thing, which is ultimately um, totally about the relationship that John and Susie have. and And then some other characters in the book, too, but it is... It's a book that is 100% about relationship issues. And it is such a deeply felt one. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite books. And the back, so in the back of all comics, they have a letter column. And that concept has kind of grown over time and is just referred to as back matter now. So in, when it, it just started as, um, as, you know, kids would write in letters and be like, gee whiz, this issue of Flash was pretty neat. And, you know, the editors would respond and everything. And and now people send in really thoughtful, awesome letters. And there's a real discourse between the creative team and the people who are reading the book. 
but there are also books that are including essays and all kinds of other stuff. And um, and Sex Criminals is really amazing because um, men Chip have just their demented senses of humor. So that's in the letter column, and people just joke around with them there. But because it's a book about such a deep, raw, emotional issues that people have, people will tell these incredible stories and ask for advice. And then, you know, maybe someone who read the letter column in this one issue will write in. So a couple issues later, you'll get someone who's responding to a letter and be like, you know, this something like this happened with me. And maybe it's a really weird thing and they've never met someone who experienced something like this before. So you get to see people make connections in the back of this book. Um, and it's like, it's like being able to listen into people's therapy sessions sometimes. Yeah. And so it people, feels a little intrusive, but... And there's people who like may have felt alone in like a certain aspect and now mm-hmm. they don't because now somebody from whoever knows where else is like, yeah, that's happened to me before. Yeah, and yeah. it's... and. You know, and because they talk about sex and because the guys have the sense of humor that they do, it's, um, you know, it's all over the place. And it's it's equal parts, like, heartbreaking and fun and funny and right, right, uplifting. Right. And, and it's just, it's a really singular thing in culture. Like, I've never even heard a podcast that comes anywhere near what this book is. It's a, it's a different kind of personal, but... Um, really really intelligently done because it wouldn't work if if they weren't smart and if the people who were writing in weren't smart and understood yeah all the different layers that they were working with and i talked to chip at um san diego comic-con a couple years ago um probably like the second year that the book was coming out and i asked him it was like who are the people who are bringing these comics to you to sign at conventions like Who's owning up to the fact that they read this book, number one, and that they really like it that much and that they're connecting to it? And he was like, generally girls in their mid-twenties. <laughs> so it just, it like, I, there is no greater um, confirmation for me about, like, what that book is about than women in their mid-twenties watching this relationship unfold with the ups and downs and everything. And it's... In, it's it captures a lot of the like really banal stuff about being in a relationship and conversations and you know there'll be some issues where the bulk of it is just a conversation that they're having and um, yeah so it's but that's one of the things that I love about comics too is like there's this there's this sweet thoughtful um, kind of magical meandering book like Isola that's got action but it's much more about a lot of other things and then Sex Criminals they're put out by the same publisher um, I love both of them intensely and equally and right. but for wildly different reasons yeah and um, who else do I love um, uh, there's another book and actually um Matt Fraction is married to another comic book writer whose name is Kelly Sue DeConnick. And she wrote um, one of the more substantial recent runs of Captain America. Hmm. Or, I mean, uh, sorry, Captain Marvel. And it's that Captain Marvel and the costume redesign that she helped make um, with an artist named Jamie McKelvey uh, 
that's going to be the basis for the Captain Marvel in the movie that's coming up. Oh, that's cool. So that's an excellent arc to read if people are interested in in that. She writes a book called Bitch Planet that is where my only tattoo comes from. <laughs> so Bitch Planet is a riff on like 70s exploitation films and prison films. Yeah. So it's this um in the in the near future kind of alternate future um, the patriarchy has just totally overrun American society and to the extent that women are expected to be you know accept their place as secondary citizens and um, and and just cooperate with all of this so um, if they are found to be in any way non-compliant, which is what they call it. Um, if it's something minor like, you know, you're upsetting people who work in stores or your husband is just really irritated with how this is working, you can be reported and then have to go to, like, a traffic school, pay a fine. It's like some diluted Handmaid's Tale type stuff. It's sort of similar, yeah. Okay. So they have their, like, increasing levels of this. And ultimately when they decide that you are just... You are too non-compliant for they the regular populations. Yes, it's an it's a it's a prison which is on a little orbiting satellite around Earth, and it has a name that I can never remember. But because it's like a separate place full of uppity ladies, it's just called Bitch Planet, <laughs> which is why the comic is called that. And um, and when they send you there, they tattoo you with an NC on your arm that looks like that for non-compliant. Interesting. And um It's actually kinda hilarious. Yeah, and so they've in the this prison population is um uh super diverse and women who have been deemed non compliant for all kinds of different reasons. And it's presented like there's a naked shower scene within the first couple issues and on one hand it seems really jarring, but on the other hand, like they represent every body type, every race. Um, one of the most popular characters is this giant African-American lady whose name is Penny Roll, and she's a complete badass, and um, and it's it's just, she's such a um, empowered figure in the book, too. It's, it's really amazing. And uh, in the back of all of those issues, they have essays by people like Roxanne Gay, and... Um, That's awesome. She's pretty prominent. Yeah. Yo, she's fantastic, yeah. And she's written, um, she wrote an, a set of stories for um, the Black Panther run, actually, too, yeah. called World of Wakanda. And uh, so she's like, she's sort of nerd adjacent. She knows lots of people in comics at this point, and I'm just waiting until she does another one. Um, but then they have they have other people write in, and they have like, academic essays on feminism and, uh, like, tons of extra stuff in the back of each issue so it's another one of these things where you really feel connected into all of you know these other people who think about this stuff and talk about this stuff and um and they have you know like suggested reading lists and um tweets and pictures that people send in and all kinds of things awesome. so that's cool but I can go on and on forever about you. Well, all you're the like a, you're read. like an encyclopedia of like <laughs> comic stuff. So 
But those are a couple of the things that I talk about a lot just because there's there's a lot of books that I like, but the ones that I like to show people are are the ones where you that make you say holy crap, like right. Why is this a comic or why does how does this exist? That's what makes it fun though. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're almost going to wrap up here and we just got a couple more questions. Sure. So, and one of the questions is give me one or two heroes that don't have their own book that you'd like to see have a book of their own. Uh, Shuri was was at the top of that list before well, I found coming. out about the announcement today. Yes, I'm so pleased. Um, it's been a really good year for, well, a really good couple of years for like side characters getting their own book. Like uh, Squirrel Girl is a hilarious, fantastic book at Marvel, and she was the babysitter for Luke Cage and Jessica Jones in the West Coast Avengers. Yeah. Um, and she was with the the Great Lakes Avengers, and she and her original design is horrifyingly awful. <laughs> She's terrifying to look at, um, but as like a, a goofy side character, and she's gotten her own book, and it's great. Um, Chip Zdarsky, the crazy artist from Sex Criminals, um, has done writing on Howard the Duck recently, and it makes me wish that that I was a regular that. ongoing. Yeah, I remember that from my kid my kid days. But it's one of those ones like if you write it funny. It's, it could work. Yeah, and it has worked really well. So I, I wish that there was more of him around. Um, there are a lot of X-Men characters. I'd love to see Kitty Pride get her own book. She's she's kind of in a bunch of the X-Men books now. Um, she's leading X-Men Gold right now, isn't she? Yeah, she's, she's sort of like a coordinator for a lot of the different groups. Right. But um, But for her to get her own story would be cool. Um. Yeah, they've they've done so many of them too. But I but I tend to really like the books that they do with a lot of those side characters. Like Iceman right. was a great book and is coming back now. Yeah, I saw that. Um, uh, yeah, Quicksilver, which again Saladin Ahmed is writing, and um, was just a spinoff of an Avengers event, but you know it's great and Black Bolt. That was awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I love when those lesser characters get their get their, get get their, their moment. Yeah. I can dig that. And I love that it's never someone that you think it's going to be. Like, why would anyone make a Squirrel Girl book? <laughs> That's just the dumbest idea, and it's so fantastic. you got to love the surprises, though. Yeah. That's what the, I'm yeah. sure a lot of characters out there that had great runs kind of started off like that. Mm-hmm. So... And so the last two questions I have to you, they're like fun questions. Okay. All right. Well, all of this has been fun, but <laughs> these are just like off the cuff, like if you could be this, that, and other. Mm-hmm. So if you could be one character, who would you be? And if there was one huge battle royale between heroes and villains, who you got? Who's coming out on top? Okay. So, I think I might want to be Squirrel Girl. She is so fucking happy. <laughs> she, so, I, there's like, there's a little two-page spread uh, in the first issue of her, her run that she had on her own that I'm always showing to people, and especially parents of, like, 12-year-old girls who really want to get a comic and they're not sure about anything. Right. Um, and it's, uh, Doreen Green is her name, Squirrel Girl is her, her alter ego, and um, she 
she starts it off singing her own theme song about kicking butts and everything and then uh, she goes back to her room and she's packing up to go to college and Tippy Toe is her best friend who is a squirrel that she talks to all the time and um, and Tippy Toe is like well you know you have a giant tail this isn't going to work how are you going to blend in with a regular student body if you have a giant tail so she puts on this pair of pants and crams her tail into the back of the pants and she's like I'll just tuck it in and have a bodacious butt <laughs> and she turns like there is no bad thing everything is just like a great thing in a slightly different she's, just a, she's one of those happy people she beats um, finds the silver lining and everything yeah she beats Galactus in a single issue because what? that yeah that destroys the answer to one of my questions <laughs> She t- and that's why that's why I was like, oh, but it might, might be Squirrel Girl. I don't know if she could really hold out like in an epic battle royale, but when it was her and Galactus, um, they they get word that Galactus is incoming, and um, and all the other people are busy with something. So she steals uh, Tony Stark's armor, and they they fashion one of the gloves into a suit for Tippy Toe, so that she and Tippy Toe can both go into space and intercept Galactus at the moon. And she talks to Galactus and find out, finds out why he wants to devour the Earth. And in talking to Tippy Toe is like, you know what? Squirrels love acorns because they're such nutrient-dense pieces of food. What if we just find a whole planet that's got so many acorns on it that you it makes you full for a long time? If we find that, will you leave Earth alone? And he's like, well, I suppose we could give it a shot. So they find a planet that's like all acorn trees. And they take Galactus and he eats it. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm full. I could, you know, take a minute off. And he's like, I will leave Earth alone for now. See, I was I was going to pick, barring Thanos having the Infinity Gauntlet, mm-hmm. I was going to say uh, uh, Galactus. Yeah, yeah. He eats planets. Yeah. It doesn't get any, any badass in that. Like, the dude eats planets. Yeah. You can cut this. You can phase this in and out. You can shoot this out of wherever. But it eats planets. Yeah. It doesn't get... Outside of the Infinity Gauntlet, it doesn't get much more powerful than that. Mm-hmm. And if I could be uh, any one hero, it'd either be Black Panther or Silver Surfer. Hands down. Yeah. Easy. But they're two of the coolest in the history of... I and think that so, was, too. That was why I was so excited for the Black Panther movie, too. Because I was just like, there is... At this point in Marvel's history, they can't... They can't blow this. Like they, they just. They better not have. It was so hyped up, and people were so ready for that. I think we, we might have burned down their studios if they had made it and turned it into a garbage film. Yeah, but even I mean, you know, I just you know with Wakanda and the history of that whole part of their world and being and everything, so advanced it's like, and. Yeah, it's like there's so much there that you'd have to try really, really hard not to make a great movie. So I was just, when people were asking questions about it and like being like, what is Black Panther? I'm like, you don't even know what Wakanda is. <laughs> like, just don't do research. Don't ruin any of the surprise for yourself. I was like, I, have, I don't have any inside information about this movie. I don't know anything. I'm just telling you, whenever we see Wakanda for the first time, this is all going to come together and it's going to be the coolest Marvel movie Ever. visually that we've ever seen. Yeah, and it was. It did yep. not disappoint. It did not disappoint. And then Shuri made that pun, and she's my favorite Disney princess forever because of it. So, because I love I love my bad puns. So, yeah. But no, those are those are those are good. But you know, and and in a in a real honest legit fight, I don't think Squirrel Girl could really handle Galactus on her own. But in Squirrel Girl's world, she just handles everything like that, and it's fine. 
So. So take a square girl out of it. Who wins in a battle royale? I, it's hard not to say Galactus. That's what I'm saying. I mean, and when you got, did he? Was he like associated with the Celestials? I feel like he was, but I can't be completely. Uh, I can't be completely sure. But they're like the epitome of unbeatable too. Yeah. The Celestials—they like you know the the Alpha and Omega of the the universe itself. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there you have it. Yeah, and 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 the DC universe has their own version of those things too. But I feel like Galactus is just kind of like on another level. Exactly. And we've talked before. That's how I feel about Namor versus Aquaman. Like, Aquaman is just like the cheap rendition of Namor. Like, he's cool and all. Like, he's alright, but let's don't get it twisted. Like, Namor is Jordan. Aquaman is like Harold Miner. You might not know who that is Larry but- Bird. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. So that's how I feel about that. But. Hey, it, it's been great having you. I really, really, really appreciate you coming out Absolutely. and uh, doing this interview and quote unquote geeking out with me. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this for weeks. I remember when I first asked you about it, and I was excited when you agreed to do it. And I knew it was going to be a great conversation, and it did not like it did not disappoint. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm hoping one day you'll come on again. Maybe when there's some new epic release that comes out, sure. and we can get on here and ramble on about that. Um, but before we go, do you want to talk about, do you want to tell everybody where the shop is, hours or anything? If anybody wants to come by, say hello, bus. Street from uh, the Harmar Barnes & Noble. And uh, we're open 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, Monday through Thursday, 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. on Fridays, and um, 12 to 6 on Sundays. All so, right. So, for any of you guys that uh, would like to go check out the source, that is where you can find it. And I personally would like to say thank you for once again listening in, tuning in. And if you would like to uh, leave any comments, have any questions, uh, please feel free, as always, to send an email to chilltimepod at gmail.com. And that's a wrap.